Welcome to the 180 Podcast. You are listening to a teaching of the 180, a new church committed to learning to love Jesus and love like Jesus. Our prayer is that God would use this teaching to help you grow closer to Him and that you would feel moved to join us in person, where you can grow in community with the larger 180 family. Bienvenue à la balado-diffusion de l'Église 180. Vous écoutez un enseignement de l'Église 180, une nouvelle Église qui s'est engagée à apprendre à aimer Jésus et à aimer comme Jésus. Notre prière est que Dieu utilisera cet enseignement afin de vous aider à vous rapprocher de Lui et que cela vous donne envie de vous joindre à nous en personne où vous pourrez vous épanouir au sein de la communauté qu'est la grande famille de l'Église 180. It's such a gift to finally be together. I, I, some of you know this. But for the past few years, I mean, feels like years, many times, myself and other leaders, you know, we've tried to connect with people who want to learn about God, who are ready to take a next step, who, who are trying to make sense of life and all of our questions, like in front of a screen by ourselves. Like, just, it feels like, felt so weird to be in this warehouse and, and to be like, is anyone here? Is anybody watching? And every so often you're like, oh, I think a few people watch this. And, you know, so to have you here and, and to just kind of be ready to learn is really, really special. But also if you're here for the first time, if somebody invited you and you weren't sure if you were ready for church, like, we just want to say, we know that it takes courage to just say, hey, I'm going to kind of visit a church or maybe come with a friend and maybe learn about something that I don't, I'm not even sure if I believe this, it's kind of weird. But we want to let you know, many people who call themselves Christians also don't know what they believe. Just so you know, that was a jab. And all the people who are offended, you can email me later. But you'd be surprised. There's many people who call themselves Christians and they say weird stuff and you're like, well, we don't unbelieve that, right? There's actually people in this room actually who as they heard the creed got nervous when they saw the word Holy Catholic Church. You know why? Because they don't know what the word Catholic means and they're Christians. The word Catholic means universal. It doesn't mean the Roman Catholic Church. Where some people are like, where, where do I have done? So you are in a good place if you're here to learn with us. Because all of us who follow Jesus have to be ready to learn the way he invites his first disciples to learn. And if you've never read about Easter, you don't know much about the story, I'm going to let you know, we have some different accounts of this in the Bible. If you don't have a Bible, you, you really are ready to learn, you've tried all kinds of options and you're like, I think I'm ready to kind of go a bit deeper, I'm not sure if I believe yet, we would love to give you a Bible. We would love to just give you that and, and to invite you to a Bible study to grow with us here because nobody kind of grows on their own. But there's like four different accounts of the, of the Easter story and I'm going to spend most of my time this morning in one of them in the Gospel of John. So if you're online, you can follow along. If you're at home, you're listening, you can follow along. But I want to begin by telling you something that I thought about this week when one of my sons asked me to help him with his homework. How many parents have small kids? You know, they ask you to help with their homework and you're like, I just wanted to relax, you know, but you don't tell them that. Okay, so sometimes I do that, sorry. You're judging me. Some of you are judging me. But, but the truth is your kids are doing homework and you feel like it's not my homework, it's your homework. And then like, this is so hard. I, like, I don't know how to do this, but this was an easy one. One of my sons asked me, he said, Dad, I have homework to do and I need your help with it. I, one of my uh, thing, like assignments I have to do is I have to invent a religion. And I'm like, well, I'm into that. Uh, okay, this is going to be good. This is one of his assignments, so think about it. If you had to invent a religion, how would it start? His project is really good, by the way, so. <laughs> like, where would you be? Yeah, it's my project. <laughs> it's going to be his project. How would you begin? I invited a few people to church to be part of this Easter, and uh, 
all of them said no to me. And all of them kind of in their own way said, I don't really believe in this because I mean, it was invented by somebody. Some men and people a long time ago, they kind of invented this religion. And I realized something as I was helping him with his project that anyone who reads about Easter knows that if you were going to invent a religion, the way Easter happens is the worst way to invent it. It's the most ridiculous way to invent a religion by a guy who is crucified on a cross. And then that the first people who are there to see him are women who have no testimony or any power to witness to seeing anything important in the ancient world. So maybe this is a chance for us to reflect again and to be like, why did this story happen like this? And why is it that we're still here? And why is it that a religion that was just kind of invented maybe by some people who were trying to trick others or, or use money or control or whatever you believe, maybe it doesn't fit the story of how we find it actually in the Bible. So our hope is that you would kind of hear the story with us and maybe you would go back and read some of the other accounts of this story. John tells us that as he was thinking about telling us about this moment, he reminds us that Mary a woman who was following Jesus for a few years, she's one of the first people to come to, this, to the tomb. And I'm going to read this for you, and if you read another one of the accounts of the Bible, Mary's not there alone. Other, other people are with her. But John just is going to focus almost in a way not to trick us, but to just help us hear this story through the lens of Mary who's there. Okay, This might help you. It says this. Early on the first day of the week, which, by the way, was Sunday, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. So she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, who is John, and said, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they put him. I mean, if you read this, it's kind of Mary's there, and she's there kind of to mourn, to pay her respects. It was really important in the ancient world that when somebody died, especially somebody who was a, a distinguished leader, that their burial was done properly, especially by the people who followed him and loved him. The Romans were great at just destroying anybody who thought they had power or influence. They had a way of crushing anybody who had too much hope that God was going to change things. They were specialists at this. And they didn't invent crucifixion, but they modified crucifixion to make it like the last of the last killing machine. So Mary Magdalene, we're told. If you don't know anything about Mary Magdalene and you want to learn more about this, you're probably going to find a bit about her in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. Because we're told that Mary, early on in her life, before she meets Jesus, her life is a mess. A mess. And the way the Bible explains that her life is a mess is it says that she's filled with demons and evil spirits. Can you imagine? Now, scholars are like, you know, trying to wrap their heads around, like, what does that mean to be filled with spirits? How did that happen in her life? Like, well, how bad do you have to be to have your life filled with spirits? Like, it's bad. Mary's life is a mess. Not only is it a mess, but to be a woman in the ancient world who has already stories about her that she has, like, prob she has problems. You know, people like that? I don't want to say too much, but my it's a problem. I don't want to gossip. I'm a Christian, but I heard. That's a gossip. That's gossip. <laughs> I heard. People would have done this with Mary all the time. And now another person, another one with the solution, another one who heals, another one who's going to make it better. Sure, sure, sure. And then she meets Jesus. 
And Jesus does something in her that begins to heal her, transforms something in her. And everybody knows, like, something's up here. We don't have the words for it. We don't understand everything. But Jesus seems to have made Mary whole. Now, I'm not sure if, if you can think of a picture Mary in your mind, but we have this kind of tradition we kind of started in our family that one of the things I'll do with my kids sometimes, with my wife, is we wanted to just start to rethink the story of Easter with them in a new way. It's great to do, by the way, parents, with your kids, just because they won't believe the way you believe or they'll have questions you never thought of. And so we watched, uh, we watched a, a great show on TV, and it's called The Chosen. It captures some of the life of Jesus. By the way, for some of you who are getting nervous, it's not 100% accurate. You're not going to be like, I can't watch it. It's not verse for verse. So don't watch it. Just don't watch it. But if you're okay to watch it, there's this moment where Mary Magdalene is depicted. This moment where she meets Jesus and he does something special and people are curious about her life being changed. They're curious about like, what actually happened to you? Like, say it slowly. Like, you were sick and he prayed for you. Like, what else did he say? Think about it. if you lived in that world and you could do what Jesus did. Like, maybe you could package it, sell it. Some of you are already thinking about it, right? But we just have a short clip from The Chosen of just to help you, maybe envision how it would have been for people who are thinking of Mary, who now is at the tomb of the dead Jesus that she so much loved. Take a look at this clip. How long after my visit did you feel the change? It wasn't anything you did. It was someone else. Someone else? He called me Mary. He said... I am his. I am redeemed. And it was so? Who did this? I don't know his name. And even if I did, I could not tell you. Why not? His time for men to know has not yet come. His time for men? He performs miracles and seeks no credit? What does he look like? Is he a member of Sanhedrin? Would you at least know him if you saw him again? <laughs> I don't know why I am sharing this with you. I, I don't understand it myself. But here is what I can tell you. I was one way. And now I am completely different. And the thing that happened in between was him. So yes, I will know him for the rest of my life. <laughs> I don't know if you pictured it that way. I was one way. Then I met him. And it's different. Do you believe that maybe there's a God that still does this? Do you, you at least want to believe that maybe there's a God who does this? Deep down, do you want to believe? Maybe you remember a time in your life when you did believe, but then something happened. Pain happened. Someone who was a Christian hurt you. Church, you have a good story about the church. Oh, they're the church. You don't want to deal with the church. You know, when we started this community, 
we thought about the many people that we love, the people that we know that want nothing to do with Jesus, the life of Jesus, the story of Jesus, Easter. People in my family, people that I care about, they won't even visit the church. Like church people. And we wanted them to maybe to help them, to encourage them to think that maybe there's a way of believing that, that Jesus still does this. What he did for Mary, he still does for people. He could do for you. He could do for me. And actually, one of the the things that happened for us as we thought about this is we thought about the name of this church. Many of you drive in, you park, you don't pay attention, it becomes maybe easy. But if you're online, you know this. If you look up online and visit our church, the church is called The 180. It, It actually comes from a Greek word to turn, to change direction, to be walking this way and then to turn and to start walking that way. Not a 360, right? Have you got that? Somebody said that to me once. Oh, you're the pastor of the 360? I'm like, nope, negativo. Nope, not that. The 180. It's a Greek word. It means to turn, to believe that God still turns people's lives around. So we thought we would help you by calling the church that. So that when you go through a season of doubt and wondering whether it's still true, you would be like, that's kind of the name of the church. And if you invite somebody to the church and you tell, why, why is this church called a number? You know, that might happen, by the way. Just say it actually comes from a Greek idea. Something that Jesus was doing with people as he was transforming people's lives. If anything happens this Easter, maybe you would believe again that God still does this. Or that you would want that to happen in your life, in someone's life. Mary experienced this deep transformation. And now Jesus is dead. Can you imagine? You're like, are you kidding me? Like, I, I felt like things changed in my life. Don't tell me I'm crazy and don't tell me I'm lying. But all she has is to go back, prepare his body. And although Jesus is not there, we're told that John and Peter are there and they run off and Mary stays there alone. Mary has nowhere to go. We don't know her life if she... Her family, she's disowned. She's like, she's there and she's caught in this moment. And anybody who reads this story, by the way, if you read the story, if you're reading your Bible and you're learning this, this is the part in your Bible you would write, Mary, run away. That's the moment. The Jews and the Romans killed people who tampered with like scenes. Just think about showing up on a scene where there's cops with the yellow ribbon and you just walk in like you're a big shot, right? The cops be like, what, what are you doing here? Well, I knew the guy. Nobody cares who you knew. Go home. Right? This is a serious problem that Mary is there. She has nowhere to go. And as she's crying, the Bible tells us that there's angels who are there, and they tell Mary, why are you crying? It's almost like the angels are like, he kind of told you that he was going to do some of this, right? And Mary's just crying. She has nowhere to go. She's carrying the weight of this. And, and, and maybe we could feel that a bit, right? On that first Easter, we're not singing Jesus paid it all. Mary's still crying. See how easy it is for us? Let's sing a song. We miss the whole meaning of the doubts and the pain and the questions and the, but he's not here. Like, nobody's singing anything. Mary is crying alone. But Jesus is alive. And all of a sudden, John tells us something beautiful happens. That as Mary's there, somebody else appears to talk to her. This is the first moment where it happens for Jesus. 
thinking this person who appeared to her was the gardener. She said, sir, like just, I have just a question. Probably still crying. If you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. This is the first moment for Mary that maybe, I'm not 100% sure, that maybe she hears her name called the way Jesus called her when he made her whole. Maybe. She knows, like, this is him. And, and think of all the questions you have. Like, I have a lot of questions. Like, why is Jesus, like, camouflaged? Like, why is he a gardener? Like, why didn't the angel, like, don't you have any questions? Like, if you don't have any questions, you've probably been in church too long. You need friends who don't believe in Christianity. Find a neighbor who believes in another religion. Like, it drives me crazy to meet people who say, we read the Bible, we study the Bible, and then they don't live in the Bible at all. They have all the answers. They know all the things. They don't care about anybody else. Let's just protect our hearts from being those kinds of people. Because I have a lot of questions. Jesus looks like a gardener. What? The imagery, this beautiful imagery that something new is about to grow now. That things that were dead are about to come to life and he's there. And it's actually the image that we see at the end of the Bible as well. And maybe you know the beginning of the Bible where there's a garden, right? So maybe John's like, hey, I'm about to link all this together for you, so pay attention. Mary says, teacher, teacher, it's you. This is something that I think for me in my life would probably have been the hardest step I had to take to move from liking Jesus learning about Jesus to saying, I need to follow Jesus. This is probably the most difficult challenge you have faced or you know somebody you will have to face. Because I know so many people that love Jesus, the teacher. This is the moment where Mary's like, teacher, this is you. And in the next few days now, Jesus is alive, Jesus is the Messiah, Jesus is a great teacher, they're really going to realize, and Jesus is the one we must worship as God. You see that last step that I did? Like Jesus worship as God, every one of, here, of us here would be like, okay, wait a minute, that's too far, okay, back it up, back it up to that part. I've been a teacher for a long time, in church, in university, in CJEPs, like I've been teaching for a long time. And all of you would agree that if I was teaching my class about history, about religion, and on the last class I said to them, hey, next week when you come back, there's going to be pictures of me, a statue of me, write some songs about me, because next week is about you worshiping me. All of you would know that the school would have a meeting with me and be like, okay, how did you go from like teaching them to telling them they have to worship you? I'm like, well, I forgot to tell you guys that part. Think about how you can get through Easter and never get to that point. That's the point we all have to go through now. Be great if you're just a good teacher because Mary knows something that we all have to understand, that if Jesus stays dead, all of his teachings were a joke. He's not just a good teacher. He was wrong, and he lied, and God doesn't care, and death wins. But because Jesus is alive, his teachings must be true. They must now be true. He is the teacher, and he's the one that we were waiting for. And this whole idea of worshiping him now is what happens next in the story. Because Mary almost wants to hug Jesus, hold him, we don't know. Some translations say cling to Jesus. And this is what Jesus says. Jesus says to her, do not hold on to me or cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father, the creed, by the way. 
Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my father and your father, to my God and your God. This is the moment where it really clicks that Jesus is not only resurrected, but he is actually equal in a way with the Father where it's all come together. They know that the last time Jesus said that he was equal with God the Father, they crucified him. And now Jesus is like, I'm alive. I have come from the Father. I am one with the Father. And you now, Mary, I got some homework for you. You're going to go and tell my brothers that I'm alive. And that's what the Bible tells us. If you're reading John chapter 20, the first moment that John lives, we live in is, is with Mary. Mary and Jesus, they're talking. She's like questioned. She wants to run. She wants to hug. She wants to kiss. She wants to cry. Isn't that us, all of us? We're like, what is happening here? This is a mess. There's no, nobody's planning a brunch, joyous park. There's none of that. It's a complete disaster. But Mary is the first disciple to be obedient. She goes. She goes to the disciples. Some of them had come to the tomb, so they know. They don't know yet that Jesus is alive, but they know his body's gone. And they kind of are like, well, we don't know. Like, somebody put him somewhere. And we don't know everything that Mary tells them. But can you imagine the things that Mary starts to say? How many of you think the disciples would be like, Mary, you have to slow down? Some of you think about that when I preach, huh? Listen, Michelle. Okay. But I'm too excited. La passion. La passion, Michelle. And if you fall asleep, I even get faster. So when I speed up, you know that there's like a ratio of people falling asleep. That's like you can know that in your mind. But Mary, what, what, what did you see? Jesus, he looked like a gardener. It was amazing. I couldn't touch him. He's going to come. He's alive. Woo! She's got a lot of afternoon. She had the whole afternoon. She has nowhere to go. John's like, it gets juicier. Ready? On the evening of the first day. What day is it? Sunday. The evening of the first day of the week. When the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and sighed, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Just go home now. You notice that Mary's been talking about Jesus for most of the afternoon since she got there, and they're still afraid. This is really encouraging for a pastor, by the way, because I tell people about Jesus a lot, and they don't listen. They still hold on to their old feelings, their old life, the way things used to be. They'd rather stay afraid than experience the joy of Jesus being alive. You know why that happens? Because just hearing about Jesus is not enough unless you want the presence of Jesus. Churches are full of people who read their Bibles, are taking notes. They know more, they know more, but there's no presence of Jesus in their lives. They don't want that. Well, that's going to be uncomfortable. You got to sacrifice. I got to, it's going to be hard. Listen, I'm not into that. Mary's been preaching. Mary's been telling them, like, this is about to change everything. And John says, by the way, you should know the men are hiding because they're afraid behind locked doors. And Jesus shows up. Don't you have a question about that? How? Like, did he say, is he still in gardener mode? Or is he like different? I have so many questions. I'm going to ask Jesus one day, by the way. He's there. 
And before they can even work it out to be like, oh my goodness, our lives are over. Jesus says, peace be with you. I, I think that I was drawn to think about Easter through John because this is the section where John reminds us that Jesus is always telling people, peace be with you. Peace be with you. I think this was a year for me where I felt unease and anxiety and stress and worry. And I needed maybe for the first time to hear Jesus say to me, Dom, Dom, peace be with you. Maybe you're here this morning and you just need to hear Jesus saying to you, peace be with you. Peace. If you grew up in church, maybe in a Catholic church or a liturgical church, you might have remembered growing up that sometimes the minister will say, you know, the peace of the Lord be with you. And the people say, and also with you. It comes from this, by the way. It comes from that moment where they'll say, hey, Jesus gave us this peace that will hold us in the storm, that will hold us when we're afraid. And we have an option to either stick to our fear and stick to what we came with or to take his peace. Now, we live in a world where peace often is confused with a feeling. Peace is not about how you feel. Peace is the truth that Jesus and his words are trustworthy. Peace is the reality that Jesus who is dead is alive and can be trusted with everything of your life. And when you do that, you have peace. And when you don't get that, you confuse peace with having a good day. Like I'm this way, right? If it's rainy and cloudy outside, I'm like, oh, it's going to be one of those days. It could be the best day in my life. But it won't matter because I think peace... Uh, I don't feel right. I need a coffee. I don't even know. Peace be with you. The peace that comes with you knowing that all of my teachings were true. They were true when I was alive before. They are true now. And God the Father awaits me as I go to ascend to him. And all of your lives can be filled with that peace if you trust me. Trust me now. This is one of those moments where I think for many people, Easter is about this moment, and I'm going to wrap up. It's about like, okay, Jesus is alive. I think that means I have to be a good person, and when I die, I hope I go to heaven. I mean, for most people, that's the, that's the path. And every time I hear people say that, I always, it bothers me because I feel like we failed so many people because Easter has nothing to do with that. If Easter was about Jesus coming back to life so that we can die and go to heaven, we would all be just waiting and hoping to die. And Jesus would say, listen, I'm alive. You're going to die soon. I'll see you in heaven. Got to go. That's the story, right? But that's not what happens in the Bible. What happens next, it's what happens to all of us. It says this. And again, Jesus said, peace be with you. The first time didn't stick. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone their sins, their sins are forgiven. And if you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. The homework? Like, what do you mean we have to go places? We're afraid. We're not going anywhere. Jesus is like, if you want my peace, and if you want the power that comes with my peace, you now must be sent the way I was sent. 
This is one of the most profound things that almost everybody who even says, I kind of believe in Easter, rarely thinks about. Because all of us want Easter for ourselves. All of us want God's peace for our own lives. All of us think that this story is really about us, but it's not. It's about Jesus saying that now that I'm alive, all of my teachings are true for you so that you can be those who are sent the way I was sent. Are you ready to be sent? I know people who are not ready to be sent and they don't even care to be sent. They're like, I don't even care. You know, when I meet somebody who doesn't believe, I'm like, it's not my problem. I hope, like, I know people like that who grew up in church and I'm thinking they probably don't know much about Easter. If you want the peace that Jesus offers you, you must be ready to enter the plan of God that Jesus sends us on. Nobody, nobody, nobody gets the peace of Jesus without also saying, I'm ready for the plan of Jesus. Nobody. If you think you can have that peace, all you're dealing with is a feeling. You're not dealing with the kind of peace that God gives you in the storm, in the times when you were obedient, when you had courage, when you listened, when you did the right thing and nobody saw it. It's not that kind of peace. And this cryptic thing that Jesus says to them, like, you're going to go now. Like, the, Mary is sent, they're sent, and, and Jesus breeds on them. And if you're familiar with the Bible, you know that right now you probably have more questions, right? You're like, the Holy Spirit's here, but in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit's going to come on them again. Wonderful. Join a Bible study. Okay, great question. But there's this moment where Jesus says to them, listen, you have to start to pay attention to those in your life who are ready to experience God's forgiveness. I want you to pay attention now as you go, as I'm sending you, there are people around you who need to know that they have been forgiven. And I want you to remind them of that. And it's almost a language of like, acknowledge that, celebrate that, tell them that because I'm alive, they are forgiven. God has made them whole. Their lives can be transformed. We are living in a time where people are carrying guilt and shame and anxiety for things they did 50 years ago. And all they needed was someone to say, hey, I think... I think that if you surrender to Jesus, he has what it takes to forgive you. You know who would have known this? Mary. Mary would have been good at this. She's like, it's my whole life. Mary would have been like, it's my whole life. Now the disciples have to go. We're going we're gonna to close, and I want the, the, the team to come up and, and do a song for us one more time before we go. As I was praying and preparing, some of you, you know, who don't know me, you might... You might think I'm really, really young, but I'm not. Everybody's woke up. Don't laugh. I'm judging you in my heart. But I've been a pastor for over 20 years now. 20 years. And every time I think I've preached on Easter, I always thought, is there anything I could say to people this Easter that would help them say yes to Jesus the way Mary said yes to Jesus? That would, be, that would help you say, I want to be sent like they were sent. I want to feel that I know how my life fits and what Jesus is doing. Like, I want that. And I thought about that. And I thought, I don't know. Like, I can't even get people to come to church the two Sundays in a row. Like, some of you are not coming back next Sunday. It's not a surprise. You, like, you can sing Jesus paid it all and you're ready to surrender, but you can't even give Jesus a day a week. It's like two Sundays in a row, my goodness, oh my gosh. And Friday, well, it's crazy. It's crazy, you wouldn't have survived two days with Jesus. 
That's the truth. It's Easter. So maybe for you, I just want to leave you with what God is saying to you that would allow you to let go of the fear, let go of all the things that have happened in your life that have told you you think you understand or you think you know why you don't believe or you think you know why God's not real, it's invented, all those things, and just say, God, if your spirit is real and Jesus, you're alive, would you help me to kind of maybe take the next step? Maybe just come back next Sunday. It's a pretty simple step. No pressure. Maybe just leave and grab a Bible. No pressure. Because it's easy in our province for this to become some like religious thing we people do and go back to our regular lives. The disciples are about to be sent into a world that is going to kill them. I thought about this, you know, we're, we're sent, we're sent in a different way. We're sent in a province that is not sure what to do with religious people. You, maybe you heard. I, I just have a stat, I want to show you one thing before I invite you to be real about where we're sent. This is a, the most up-to-date stat that was done about asking people if they believe in God. And across this country, Quebec is the lowest rate for people who say they believe in God. And even if you ask them, the ones that do say they believe in God, and you ask them, hey, what's that God like? They'd be like, I don't know, energy force, I don't know. And positivity, whatever. And on this Easter Sunday, because Jesus is alive, he says, all of my teachings are true now. Go and live as those who have been forgiven. Go and live as those who have received my peace. Go as those because I'm sending you the way the Father sent me, which means he enters our world and walks and sits and laughs and eats and listens with us. If you believe in the resurrection, you know that Jesus' commandments are for us now too. Where are you going to be sent now? What does sent look like for you? Let me tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like going home and posting like on Facebook, accept Jesus as your Lord and Savior or burn. It does not look like that. Jesus didn't do that. We are sent the way Jesus was sent. Among people like Mary Magdalene, outsiders, people who felt that God didn't love them, couldn't forgive them, had no place. And Mary and the disciples are like, our Jesus is alive. He's alive now. Are they afraid? You better believe it. Are they nervous? You better believe it. But I'm going to have you stand and we're going to sing the song. And I'm going to tell you how John finishes his whole gospel. If you go back and read it, you'll see it. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And then John says this. It's so profound. Most people miss it. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. So beautiful that Jesus was so much at work in so many new ways that they couldn't even contain the ways that Jesus was changing people's lives. Maybe because what we're going to do, 
what our lives are going to be meant for, are going to be part of that story one day. We are still writing the end of the book of John. We are still living in the fact that Jesus is still doing so many things that music helps us articulate and our story helps us articulate. But this Easter, the peace of Jesus is with us. The hope of Jesus is with us. So as we sing this song, what is Jesus saying to you with your questions, your doubts, your struggles? Let's sing before we close.
There's nothing you or I can do to fix this, to make it better, to get God to love you. What Jesus invites each and every one of us, whether you're listening online, here in this room, he invites us to live as those who have really been forgiven. Live as someone who believes the words of the resurrected Jesus. Live as someone who is filled with the peace of the resurrected Jesus. And you do that by saying, I'm ready to be sent the way you were sent. So now I'm going to pray and I'm going to send you. All of us sent to live in the hope of the resurrection. Let's pray. Jesus, we believe you. We believe what you said about God the Father loving us that he would send you into this broken world among us in the mess that we made to the point of death on a cross. You sacrificed for us and now you're sending us to sacrifice for the sake of others. You are sending us for them to see what forgiveness and peace can look like because you paid it. As we go now, I pray for those who are sensing your work in their hearts. That they would maybe commit to just one next step of growing, of exploring, of listening, of surrendering. The way Mary did. The way we are learning to do. And that we would learn to do that together. To encourage one another to stir one another to the good works that you've prepared in advance for us to do because that's what your word says. May we enter into conversations and moments with friends and family over the next few days that it will allow us to be reminded of your forgiveness and your peace. That we would listen and be open to your sending and your stirring so that others, Jesus, would be healed as well. We pray all of this in your name, Jesus, our resurrected Lord. And everyone said, amen. amen. Jesus is alive. Hey, we love you all. We just want to say quickly, for kids, you're going to be picking them up up here. Parents, just remember, we have a little letter. We just want you to read that. If you want to pray or talk to someone, we are here. We don't want you to have to rush off. Next week, we start a new series called Conviction. How do we learn to really have healthy conviction? Because there's also bad conviction. We'll see you next week. If you can make it, we'd love to see you. God bless everyone. Happy Easter. <laughs>